0: Thank you for joining us in worship today. The service you are watching was recorded on June 25th, 2017. We will return to live broadcast on August 6th, 2017. Good morning. Welcome to worship at First Presbyterian Church of Columbus, Georgia. We're glad that you're here to join us as we worship God by offering our prayers and singing songs and listening to Scripture. Please come in with us that we may worship God together. Our first lesson today is Psalm 27. Listen now to the Word of God. The Lord is my light and my salvation, whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life, of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to devour my flesh, my adversaries and foes, they shall stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war rise up against me, yet I will be confident. One thing I asked of the Lord that I will seek after to live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, and to behold the beauty of the Lord, and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble, he will conceal me under the cover of his tent, he will set me high on a rock. Now my head is lifted up above my enemies all around me and I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy and I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud, be gracious to me and answer me. Come, my heart says, seek his face. Your face, Lord, do I seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You who have been my help, do not cast me off, do not forsake me, O God of my salvation. If my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will take me up. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Do not give me up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me and are breathing out violence." I believe that I shall see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our second lesson today comes from 2 Timothy 4, 6 through 8. Paul speaking to his protege, Timothy. Listen now to the word of God. As for me, I am already being poured out as a libation, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. From now on, there is reserved for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The Adventures of Tom Sawyer has to be one of my favorite books from childhood. I am and actually liked it even better than The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn, which in some literary circles might be a heresy. Uh, but um, I preferred The Adventures of Tom Sawyer. Now, one of the adventures he had, along with Huckleberry Finn and another friend, involved a time with one of their adventures going to an island. They all had a great time. The boys played, and I think they were pirates, and they were Indians, and they were everything else, robbers, everything else under the sun. They had gone out on a boat, and I think if remember correctly, the boat had gone missing, and people had assumed that they had drowned. And so uh, the river is dragged, and the bodies are not found. But Tom realizes they're going to have a funeral for us. And so they sneak into the church before the funeral, and they hear it from the balcony, and they hear themselves described in such eloquent terms, and of course then they, we're here. Well, in many respects, I feel like Tom Sawyer these past several weeks, having shown up at my own funeral. With all the kind words and good stories and gracious compliments, it really has been just like all those wonderful things that we say at someone's going away at at that funeral. Now, while rumors of my demise are greatly exaggerated, today I do preach my farewell sermon, and I'm naturally drawn to these words from 2 Timothy. This letter uh, from Paul to Timothy serves as a farewell valedictory address. Paul is in prison. He's facing death. And before he goes, and if Timothy is not able to see him one last time, these words will serve as the final word to him. The entire letter is that statement, um, the particular verses I've highlighted today. I first encountered these words of Paul around 1973, 1974, and let me set the stage for you. It's in First Presbyterian Church of Charlotte, North Carolina. Now, from where I sat uh, in the congregation looking forward, I had two things on which I could focus my young eyes because in first, second, third grade, fourth, I really could not always follow the sermon, but we had plenty to see in the church— To my right, there was a stained glass window. A woman was with her ankle chained to the wall, but she was reaching up through a dark cloud, and above it was a star or a symbol of light. Reverend Hopping, our associate, had explained to us that is hope. She's chained to the wall, but she is reaching up through the darkness, searching for the light. Okay, a symbol of hope. On the other side, the left side, was a marker similar to what you all have there in the back about one of the former pastors of the church. It was pretty large, and I do not know, I did not go to their website even to see if it's recorded now. What I do remember at that young age is seeing the last words written there at the bottom. And it was, I have um, I fought the good fight, I finished the race, I have kept the faith. Now, I was not sure if those were his final words recorded or if simply that was a statement to the legacy that he had left, but regardless, that was his legacy. As I prepared this message, I thought to myself, well, that's interesting, Jones, as you were up there and the word was preached there from the middle, you had a symbol of hope and of legacy on both sides, a hope and a legacy rooted in Jesus Christ. Now, what does that all have to do with us gathered here today? Well, I'm bringing together several strands. I preached the first Sunday of this month, June 4th, and I spoke about Paul and his encounter with Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus and his conversion. And, and Acts, in Acts 9, we looked at his early years before he'd even written one letter In fact, what followed our passage in Acts 9 is the first missionary journey. We see him in his early, early days. And today, we see Paul at the end of his journey with Jesus, humanly speaking, on this planet. He writes his final words in his last letter, and he reflects back on his journey. And by the grace of the Holy Spirit, he can say that he has fought the good fight And he has finished the race and he has kept the faith. One of our men's gatherings several years ago, a gentleman spoke to us and he shared his inspiration for life coming from these verses. And he said he saw it this way, that he wanted to finish strong, reach his goal, and to know that he had stayed true. Finish strong, reach the goal, stay true. And that is my parting hope and prayer for this church. Kind of a twofold way to do that, of finishing strong, reaching the goal and staying truth. True. And the first is around three intertwined points of belief, purpose and mission. Know what you believe as Presbyterians part of the Reformed family of faith. Within the Christian church, we have our boundaries, and within those boundaries, we have space of what is and is not understood in our tradition of what it means uh, to, to be a Christian or what it means to be a faithful Christian. There's space within there where we say, well, that's good for you, that, that's, that fits. Uh, I, I tend to go this way, but I'm still within the boundaries." Now, we're not always sure exactly where those boundaries are, and we're not sure about some of those issues of space. That is an ongoing discussion. They were discussing it years, 200, 300 years ago. But know what you believe. Be sure be, know what you believe. When I first came here, something of which oh, they were so proud, the people that were here were so proud, I talked about the Disciple Bible study program I think pretty much everybody who has wanted to do disciple has done it over the years, but proud of that extensive study, big commitment with disciple one. Following, I think some years ago, we did the story, looking at Scripture from beginning to end as one big story, seeing it all, wrapping it together, again, knowing what we believe, and even the Believe series we did just about two years ago, part of that theme. Soon, we don't know who they'll be yet, but there will be officers nominated for the coming year, and uh, officer training will take place. And work on those creeds, confessions, and catechisms, okay? Work on that, making sure that they know, have an understanding what we believe. People at a time of transition, people going through a tough time If they successfully navigate it, they come to terms with what they believe. Story after story, we have heard about uh, the Vietnam War prisoner who was there locked in the cell, often in solitary, and what they had to draw on at that time was what they knew in terms of their beliefs. The story said, you know, story shared. Well, this is the scriptures that I remembered. These were the hymns that I could still sing. This is on what I drew at that time. Less ominous but still serious is the challenge for re- for empty nesters. The children are out of the house. They may or may not be off of the payroll, but they are out of the house. And that's a season to reinvent. What do we do? What matters in this chapter? Even in a lighthearted way, this is carried in several movies that look at life of college graduates. They're out of college. They're at the first job. Now what do I do? How do I shape my life? Know what you believe. And from that, determine purpose and mission. I would say for this church, it's always been to glorify God in this, in this town all the way back to 1830, when this was a new town in a frontier community. Now, over time, that mission has changed. The city was built on textiles and other industries. And now, largely, the city has drawn, uh, draws on financial services and information technology. So it has changed. Its economic base has changed. Fort Benning is here. It's been big. It's been small. It's been big. It's been small. Only Uncle Sam knows. <laughs> Uncle Sam of the good Lord knows. And so that will impact the mission over, over the years. Knowing your purpose and mission. A church comes to mind that, was loca- that is located in the heart of its community in a large city. It actually began as a community church, Though typically the guest preacher was always a Presbyterian, or was, I shouldn't say always, but typically the guest preacher was a Presbyterian. And so kind of later in its history was it actually organized as a Presbyterian church, but they served their community. People could walk there or easily get there. But as communities grow, people move further and further out until that everything around that church was offices. There was nobody living there. In the 1950s, they asked, well, the question was raised, do we move the church or not? The decision was made, no, look what we have now. It's different where we are. How do we reach out to this business community and things that were offered to that time and place? But then about 10, 15 years ago, guess what? People start living downtown again. Their offices and loft apartments and condominiums. There is a community living around them. And calling recently an associate pastor, they called the associate pastor and they said, This is our community. How do we reach out to these folks? They're living next door to us. That hasn't happened in about 60 years. What do we do? This is our new mission, it has changed over time. Know what you believe, state your purpose, and define your mission. This is a chance in the history of the church to do just that once again. June 4th, I spoke about a calendar that I keep in my head, a 12-month calendar that begins with April. Started two years ago. And then I spoke about there are certain tasks that were done in the first year after the events of April 2015. There were important tasks for that year. And then year two had its particular tasks and questions to ask. And year two is now completed. This is year three. And this is a season, again, to ask, what is our purpose and what is our mission here as we define and know what we believe? Fight the good fight And finish the race and keep the faith. Know what you believe and state your purpose and define your mission. And finally, know your story, understand your present, and dream the future. Know your story, your history. Paul thoroughly knew his story. He knew his story as a Jew of the tribe of Benjamin. He knew himself as a Hellenistic Jew. He was someone who was comfortable in the Greek culture, spoke it as his first language, who knew that, and again, that culture dominated the whole eastern part of the Roman Empire. And he was also quite clear that he was born a Roman citizen. That was his story. And Jesus Christ took all three and wove it into something so much bigger, Earlier, I talked about two symbols I had, hope and legacy rooted in Jesus Christ, to which I could look on those mornings in Charlotte. And I realized my advantage from my vantage point that I can see two markers that represent hope and legacy myself today. The two markers I see on the back wall there, the first one to my left, Dr. Goulding, speaking of his ministry reminds me of the early years of Columbus and of this church. And my notes for this section draw from Mr. Gilbert's history of this church, 1830 to 1930, and also a lecture I heard at the museum. A gentleman had this book, wrote this book about uh, the antebellum travelers coming through Columbus and their um, take on the community. And so all of that together, I think of the early years of the history. 1828, trees. One year later, 1829, a thousand people. Now, based on the size of the community today, we go, well, that's nothing. But one year ago, nothing. Next year, a thousand people. By 1832, 2,000 people. An amazing variety of folks were here. The gentleman at the museum said that travelers would come down the coast and then they would get to Charleston, Savannah. These are particularly Europeans wanting to explore the United States. They would take a land route to Columbus to pick up the Chattahoochee River to go down to Apalachicola and to work the coast again, to Mobile and to New Orleans. And a common thread was the variety of people here. In the 1830s in particular, there were the white settlers, there were the Creek Indians, there were free blacks, and there were slaves. And, they, and these writers would say they would be in the second story of the hotel and looking out and seeing everybody going about their business. And Mr. Gilbert's history is recorded at that time as the people are talking about starting a church here. And the unique position of this community being at the border between two jurisdictions. You get in trouble in Georgia, cross the river, you're in Alabama. You do something bad in Alabama, cross the river, you're here in Georgia. And I love this line. There came speedily a population, literally, of all sorts and conditions of men. Now, I know they meant that in the inclusive sense. And so they're very much talking about literally all sorts and conditions of women as well as menfolk. And I imagine what images those discreet words include. Reading the history just those few, maybe four years before Dr. Goulding arrived, you wonder how the church ever made it to its 10th anniversary. Uh, It was a very interesting period. Look at it. There's some material in the museum. But the church survived By the grace of God, Dr. Goulding had a long ministry. And then to my right, I look back and see the symbol, the reminder of the great fire that left, just like the White House after the British came through in the War of 1812, nothing but the walls of this building where you're sitting stood. And it took a year. They did a lovely job with it too, but it took a year to replace all the woodwork that we see I think there's been some modifications and tweaks here and there over the years. But what you're looking at comes from, well, not over there, but uh, give it a few more months, then you'll see the windows again. But anyway, uh, you see reminders of the history of this church and its survival, hope, and legacy rooted in Jesus Christ. Know your story and understand your present and dream the future. They all weave together. In this time, it is a time to understand uh, the present, a time to look at the numbers of people, to know budget realities, a time to experiment. Is there something new that we can do or something that needs to be repurposed? Is there a ministry or an activity that needs a sabbatical for this season? Does something need to be retired? And this is a time to begin to dream, to dream about what do we believe going forward and what are we to be and to do. Now, much of your dream work will take place when a new installed pastor arrives, part of the job description for the PNC out there. But also, your work of dreaming is now, and that's also part of the job description for your interim. Dreaming about what the future, the next chapter, will be. What is God calling this church to do? Now, the story of the church I'm about to share is, I think, a little too dramatic uh, for First Columbus, but it shows that they're willing to dream big things. This is a church on the West Coast and things have changed dramatically where they are located. They're never going to be the 8,000 member church they once were. And even though they are downtown, they're not at the center of activity, not like us, uh, where we are located. And they began to dream a dream and say, what if, based on our numbers and where we could hope to grow realistically, we built a new sanctuary on this property that matched that. And what if we could lease some of the land here to the school system? There are children in this neighborhood. They could have a school with all the property we've got. We could even have some space for housing, low-income and middle-income, and even dedicate some spacing to an urban garden. Now, that's not a recipe for First Columbus, don't worry. That just is an example of a church willing uh, and asking itself in its place some pretty dramatic questions. Where is God calling? How do we serve Jesus here and now? Another church comes to mind, maybe a little closer to our reality, but it was built in the 50s in the suburbs, and it was booming and growing as everything was then. They had a bit of a midlife crisis around their late thirties, but going into their 40th anniversary, they said, how, where do we serve, how do we serve Jesus here and now? And great energy came back to that church. A few years later, they saw another interesting phenomenon. The neighborhoods around the church had been you know, homesteaded, pioneered by young couples with children. But those folks who were now empty nesters were downsizing. If they were not going to a retirement facility, they were going to a condominium. And guess who was buying those houses? Young couples with children. And they found themselves, not quite, but almost like it's 1955 all over again. How do we reach out? They're different than the ones that first settled here. But young families with children, we're right back where we started. Another church, a little similar situation in a suburban community, was at first kind of panicked because the youth group seemed to be getting smaller. They did some, they did some analysis of the community and realized, oh, this, community, this town is aging a bit. The high school population is smaller than it was. I mean, a church that had 10% of its youth and youth group, of, I mean, 10% of the town's youth and its youth group, would have to be smaller because the number of high school students were smaller. But they also noticed something else. Like the other church I mentioned, people, older people, were downsizing. And the young families with children were coming back. And so while they were definitely paying attention to the youth ministry, they realized we have a great opportunity with a new crop of children coming to the community. How do we serve Jesus here and now? Where is the Spirit leading us? In what direction is the Spirit calling? Hope and legacy both found in Jesus Christ. Know your story and understand your present, and dream your future. Know what you believe, a faith rooted in in, in our God, a purpose, know your purpose for which Jesus Christ has called you, and for what ministry, for what mission is the Holy Spirit equipping you? Fight the good fight, finish the race, Keep the faith. In Jesus' name, amen. It's been a privilege to join you this day in worship. We're glad that you were here. First Presbyterian Church seeks to serve and minister in the name of Jesus Christ. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord be kind and gracious to you. May the Lord look upon you with favor. Go in peace as you love and serve God.